0: Oh, Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. And for today's episode, we are experiencing our fifth candidate episode of the season. I have been bringing you different candidates from across the country for the entire season four so far. This is our fifth candidate. Her name is Heather Kilpatrick. She is running for the 11th congressional district out of Georgia. Heather, how are you doing today? Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I am doing great so far. It's been a busy week. I'm almost messed up because of the technical holiday, although we don't really take a break, but it's been a screwy week. So, but it's been good. How are you doing?
0: Absolutely great. And yeah, so for the viewers at home, we're kind of recording this a little bit ahead of time, but you'll be all experiencing this as it comes out on November 11th. But, you know, as we are kind of starting into this conversation now, one of the first things that I want to ask you is the question that I ask mostly every candidate who comes on, because I feel that though it's a very important question to ask. Why Congress? So I mean, of all the different positions you could run for, because you could probably run for any elected position that you probably want to run for, but why Congress specifically uh, that you're running for?
1: Um, I wanted to run against Barry Loudermilk. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, he was my target. Right. um so i and i'm sorry my dog is eating in the background so if you can hear that i apologize um uh, this is downside of doing these things from home um yeah, so i uh, barry loudermilk was really my motivating factor here uh he is the person i am running against um and he was the because he's in congress that was the office i chose um I decided after everything with January 6th that I wanted to run, um, and I didn't know necessarily what office I wanted to run for, and my partner was like, well, you despise Barry. Why don't you go after him? And I was like, that's brilliant, and so here we are.
0: <laughs> so right, and you, you mentioned to me on top of that, that that he had ruled against, you know, like healthcare uh, legislation in the past, and that was another additional factor for you as yes. well?
1: Um, that is exactly right. So he got on my radar. I work in healthcare. I have for 20 years. And that's how Barry initially got on my radar. He, um, he voted uh, he was actually the sponsor on the bill to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And then he was the co-sponsor on the bill to um, get rid of the pro- protections for pre-existing conditions. And as someone who gets their insurance for the Affordable Care Act, and as someone who has pre-existing conditions this obviously upset me <laughs> um, right. but you know i deal a lot with health insurance billing and coding and authorizations compliance things of this nature um, and at the time i was working in mental health mental health is it had a lot of protections through the affordable care act um, that were that mandated it had to be covered no matter what under the affordable care act it, it was no longer able to be excluded as coverage um, and that was one of the things that the GOP was trying to do away with. So we, uh, that's what got it all on my radar initially and put berry louder milk on my radar. Um, and I had a lot of patients that were gonna lose their coverage. Uh, and then again, most mental health conditions are pre-existing conditions. So again, these were big things that were gonna impact a lot of my patients. Um, so I put them on my radar and everything I saw after that was not good. <laughs> Um, so it just spiraled from
0: there. Right. And I can completely understand that as somebody who has had to deal with the healthcare industry so many different times, I do appreciate the fact that you were so passionate about protecting people who had pre-existing conditions. It, it, honestly, we're so far removed from the passing of the Affordable Care Act. It's hard for you to imagine what it was mm-hmm. like having, you know, like no protections whatsoever for people with pre-existing conditions. So it's outstanding to me that that's that is still in place thankfully but yes. you know speaking about healthcare you know like how has your experience in healthcare actually affected your feelings on healthcare policy and healthcare legislation in our country
1: you know it's it's one thing it's one of it well in general healthcare is my primary platform that i'm running on because as someone this is all I've done. My entire career, from the time I started working at 15 years old, has been in healthcare, um, and I've done many different facets of healthcare. So I've, I have a unique perspective um, as someone coming in that I've actually done the groundwork. And um, I think, you know, coming into this race, uh, and then I, I'm as I'm someone who's also been the patient one too many times. Um, So it it gives me that additionally unique perspective, you know, that we have a healthcare crisis in this country. And you see that, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted that even further. And we need someone who understands exactly what is happening on the healthcare industry side, who's not looking at it from a government perspective, who's looking at it from a provider and a patient perspective. That could come in and just make new waves, positive waves, but help build out the infrastructure as well. And someone who actually has an intelligent knowledge base about what actually happens at a doctor's office right. on both sides.
0: Yeah. So, you know, that's actually going to lead me into my next question. You know, like, like say that you become elected to Congress, it is January of 2023. You were in the halls of the Capitol. What exactly would be your first piece of legislation that you would try to write or enact?
1: Well, right now, um, it would probably be something about women's healthcare. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Because that seems to be under attack. Um, But in general, uh, you know, women's healthcare should not be a talking point. And there's so much that's left out of women's health care that needs to that we just need a complete overhaul of it um, to make it more comprehensive and the same goes for men's health care health insurance in general leaves out so many things that should just be guaranteed protections for overall health care um, that if we did this it, it move towards which they're trying to do it's just not working um, a more preventative based model instead of a uh, reactive model of care. Um, Reactive, my dog is trying to eat everything on the counter. I'm sorry. Um, If we move to this reactive uh, or preventative model of care instead of like reactive treatment, which is what everybody's so used to, um, I I think everything would turn around but it would involve so many different things. Um, But, you know, I'd probably make a lot of changes on my first day if I could. Um, You know, lowering the Medicare threshold age. I would federalize Medicaid because so many states, Georgia being one, did not do the, you know, Medicaid expansion. And that's had, you know, devastating effects. Um, Make all insurance include dental and vision coverage because that is part of your body. It should not be separate coverage. You know, we finally got there with mental health care. So why is dental invention not in there as well? So things like this that should be no brainers, but it's a constant problem. Um, But uh, I think those are necessary first basic steps to get where you need to be. Um, But I think, you know, comprehensive whole body care is just a general, you know. And again, I see this because so much of what you need to get covered is not covered and the insurance is like well it's not necessary well it is necessary but you don't want to pay for it until something happens but if we prevent it it's going to cost so much less on the, in you know later down the road but that would be the probably my biggest thing to enact on day 1 is comprehensive coverage for everything to so we can move towards a preventative model of care
0: Absolutely. And, you know, on top of that, we're also seeing incredibly high prices with drugs in in our country. Now, we are constantly hearing talking points about how they're going to lower prescription drug prices, about how we're going to have the government be able to negotiate with these companies because they you know, do that in other countries, but they don't do that here in America. What is truly keeping the prices so high in America? And can Congress, more specifically, would you be willing to do something about it?
1: Yes. So that's, it's a big thing. I actually, I just ran into this um, last week before last um, at my neurology appointment because I had to change one of my um, maintenance medications. I get these weird, complicated migraines that actually mimic a stroke. And it's very scary. Um, And I don't get them often, like once every blue moon, but I'm on a monthly injection for them. And all of a sudden, because of everything that's going on, the price went up to almost, they were like 300 something dollars a month. Um, and my insurance covered most of it, but um, now they're $3,200 a month. Yes, sorry, I mean, uh, <laughs> so I'm like, um, excuse me, what? And I've been stable on this medication for years. Yeah. and you know, it, when you have a condition that can mimic a stroke, that's dangerous. And then I have multiple other conditions that, you know, or comorbidities that impact that. And then I have medication allergies. You, you don't want to just go and try different things. It, so this is a problem. And um, there's a lot of factors that come into play. Now with this particular drug, it's it, they're just trying to use the whole well, we can't get the supplies needed to, they're playing the EpiPen argument, basically. Right. Um, the cost to manufacturers gone up because we can't get the, it's, it comes in like an auto injector pen um, and the supplies to make it are in short supply and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, that's probably true because everything's going towards, you know, hospitals and the treatment of COVID. And I get all that, um, but not to the point where, it should price gouge that much. And um, so you've got the manufacturers, they play a big role in pharmaceutical pricing. Pharmacies play a big role. If you ever price um, match or try to price shop a prescription, you'll really see the difference um, between different pharmacies. Uh, CVS is one of the worst um, with having their prices higher
0: But given
1: how large they are, they can do it um, and they have bigger overhead. Some of these smaller independent pharmacies can often give you the biggest um, deal because their overhead is not as high. Um, So, you know, that's why Publix, they've got those free prescriptions a lot of times because they've worked out these deals with the manufacturers to be able to do that. So depending on who you're working with, you can get really good deals. But the pharmacies play a part in that. So they help jack up the cost because they're covering their overhead, um, and then you've got the insurance companies. They have to make their bottom dollar too. So
0: that's a that's a that's a subject that gets brought up a lot, you know, especially politicians on the left, people, political pundits on the left, talking about whether or not insurance companies even need to exist, but instead of asking you more about, you know, like that question, Medicare for all, so on and so forth, I'd rather just ask you this, do you think that the pharmaceutical industry should have caps placed on prices for medication? Like should the federal government step in and say, you can't charge more than X for certain medications, especially in the course of life-saving medications?
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this recently. I I really think there should be like an independent objective oversight body that could do this. Um, But why can't the FDA do this? Um, They have to regulate the medications anyway. So the FDA could easily step in. And depending on the tier level of medications, um, I mean, pharmacies already in, well, primarily insurance companies, not the pharmacies. So I apologize they put medications in different tier classifications. So instead of letting the insurance companies do that, let the FDA do that. That way it's an independent oversight person putting a tier classification on all these medications. And then depending on the tier classification of the medication, it cannot exceed a certain cost. That way, I mean, some medications, yes, are automatically going to be expensive because they are expensive to make and but those are going to be um life-saving treatments that are one-offs that you you might see a few thousand of them given a year you know the the, and those are expected because of everything that are behind them and there's a minimal amount of them and i i understand that Um, now anything else below those and those can be like the highest tier anything below those you have tiers for and that can be something, I mean, trust me, I work with the FDA every single day. I know the stuff they put you through. <laughs> this is something they could easily do. Right. Uh, and I would, that was that would be something I could, you could easily propose right now and have the FDA do because technically we saw otherwise with the last administration, but they are, while they are a federal body, they are independent of you know, any uh, political party.
0: Right. And and so, you know, with all that being said, I I do appreciate you taking so much time to explain to us, you know, those different inner workings of the healthcare industry. I know that a lot of people who listen to, you know, podcasts, we don't always know so many of the like different ins and outs. So I, I personally did not know that about the FDA, that they could have the ability to do that. So thank you for taking the time to explain that. We're going to take a quick break in this episode, but when we come back, we're going to have more questions with our candidates. So everyone, make sure you stay tuned after a few words from these sponsors.
1: Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana, that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West, and you can shop us online at BettysDivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code independentthought at checkout to save 15% on your order.
0: Welcome back from the break everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So, Heather, one of the questions that I, you know, forgot to ask you in our first segment. I usually try to like ask personal questions, like right from the top. Kind of skipped over it. My apologies. No worries. <laughs> uh, when it comes to politics in general, I feel as though a lot of people have different moments in their lives that more or less politically activate them. Was there a moment for you specifically that led you to want to run for office? Like other, I mean, you mentioned before that January sixth was something that you know, like made you want to run for office, but was there something additional to that that kind of like politically activated you maybe earlier in life?
1: So I've always been into politics, um, kind of from the sidelines. And I, I thought about running several years ago, but I, I was like, no, nah, this isn't for me. And um, But I, the more I, the, with like the Trump administration, I I just became, you know, um I was raised Republican and yeah. I, I kind of just, with everything the past uh, 10 years or so, um, I just became less and less, became more independent um, and more moderate and um, just kind of started switching. Those lines became blurred and uh, started kind of doing my own research. And just as more and more things started happening, I've. I just became more politically involved. Um, The attack on uh, the constant attack on women's rights, the attacks on um, health care, those were big things for me. Um, But January 6 was uh, the biggest deciding factor, I think, um, aside from several fights with my family, um, who are all Republicans. that was like a motivating factor for me to just get out there and do something. Um, my my family was uh, they didn't see anything wrong with what happened on January sixth, and uh, and I, I was like, I can't, I, I no, I can't. I, somebody has to do something. So I was kind of that's what kind of made me dive in.
0: Hey, you know that that's fair. I mean. I think a lot of people had a lot of different reactions to that day. Yeah. I definitely had several reactions that day. I made a few episodes about them. So, yeah. um, so shameless plug. I was well, not really shameless i's my podcast. Yes,
1: <laughs> exactly. Make all the plugs you want.
0: <laughs> but, you know, kind of like transitioning a little bit back in, into the issues now. Like, yeah. you know, now you are running for, you know, Congress. And there are several issues that are at hand here. I know that we spent the first half of the episode more or less specifically talking about health care. But you do have other pillars on your platform that I saw on your website, uh, one of which was, you know, the environment. Now you had referenced that there is a coal ash plant within your district Mm -hmm. in Georgia, and that it is actually polluting the groundwater, you know, like in your district. And so we have a direct case of fossil fuel job poisoning people, not like, you know, like somewhere down the road, but directly in the here and now. There have been lots of conversations about transitioning people away from these jobs into more like green energy jobs. But my my question for you is, how do you think that the government should help these people as they transition away from these jobs? And also, what can we do in the meantime to help people who are affected by pollution on these levels?
1: Um, I think helping people that are impacted by the pollution is... Uh, oh my goodness, that takes, the cleanup needs to be automatic, um, and I think those who are responsible for the pollution should be responsible for paying for the cleanup. I also think they should be responsible for any health care costs, um, and that should be ongoing, um, and I think it's going to need to be, uh, there's, there's going to be need to be oversight, some kind of governmental oversight to ensure that, you um, health care coverage is there and that it's maintained and that it's um nobody tries to this is just me being me but i guess i get cynical <laughs> um nobody tries to you know just make a settlement or anything like that i mean settlements can be fine if you want to give some kind of financial um settlement but there still should be ongoing health care coverage um, For anybody who is impacted by the pollution from the coal ash, especially the poisoning of the groundwater. Um, They did do some cleanup um, several years ago, but part of their cleanup efforts were to buy all the land around it um, from everybody and just basically nobody lives there anymore. Um, And, you know, I haven't seen any direct proof that they've lined all the the lakes and anything around there but uh, you know i know that was something they were supposed to do i've never heard that it got done and it could have i will it could have there's reservoirs and everything around there they were supposed to put it in um but to my knowledge that was part of why they bought all the land up around there was to avoid um doing all of that so you know it's but that's subjective i don't know any of the objective information. I I don't have any of that. We've, multiple sources have tried to find that, I don't know. Um, But as far as transitioning the, the, um, the employees, I think that is, I mean, there's amazing opportunities out there and these people already have such unique skills and trade skills are something that you saw a real decline in. Um, especially like in my generation, or well, after my generation, I guess I, I refuse to call myself a millennial, um, and um, I think I fit in that little bracket in between. Um, but trade skills kind of went away, and I think they need to come back. You know, trade skills are such a valuable like skill set, and um, the people that have them, we need to just put, them, put those people in a bubble <laughs> because some yeah. of those things mm-hmm. you just can't teach. Um, but it takes a special skill set to do a lot of those things. And I think we should take that skill set and extrapolate it and apply it to other ways, other, other skills or other trades within this industry. You know, there's with clean energy, there are so many new jobs that are going to be necessary for people to do. And if we train these people to do them, um, I mean, the training is going to be. It's going to take somebody who's intelligent, somebody who's willing to work, and somebody who's good with all these technical details that most trade trade labor takes. So again, we're going to need that special skill set. And um, I, I think if you know, pay for the education. That's a no brainer. Um, and I think it's going to take paying for um, like probably some family subsidies while this education is going on, which we absolutely owe that to them. Um, and then once we've got the, the new energy and clean energy th- uh, jobs up and going, yeah, you know, we're good to go. But I mean, there's gonna be so many things we can do um, with clean energy and with the job sectors, you know, there's, I mean, it, the infrastructure there is humongous. And, um, you know, we're only scratching the surface of it and it's going to be an ongoing project. I mean, it's not going away. If anything, it's that's the current skill set is going to be going away, but we can ex- extrapolate those skills. And I think it will be truly amazing.
0: Absolutely. And you know what, that just kind of like goes right into my next question. Cause I was going to ask you, we are now seeing, um, well, well, we'll see how this, where this is at once this episode <laughs> comes out, but uh the reconciliation bill is being proposed right now one of the things that's being proposed in there is free community college uh for okay. people but one of the questions that i was wondering and that you also kind of just touched on do you think that there should be funding as well for trade schools and if so uh how much
1: i think trade schools should be free if I mean, if you're gonna make community college free make trade schools free um it's it's they're more or less the same thing. One just teaches a different avenue. You know, it teaches a trade rather than someone who's trying to figure taking basically like their core classes um, or going for, you know, a two-year degree, associate's degree of some kind. Um, And I think there should be incentives to go to trade school. Like I said, um, we need those industries. We rely on them every day. And I don't think people realize how much we depend on them and rely on them until something happens. Um, look what happened in Texas over the winter, ah, prime, prime thing, you know, all those jobs, everything we were depending on to get back up and going, all trade skills, you know, what's happening in Louisiana right now, trade skills. (laughs) This is, it's highly skilled labor, and I mean, it takes someone with way beyond my intellect to, to do some of these things, and I'm fully well. I'm fully willing to admit that. Like, like when it comes to like, I don't touch anything regarding electricity. Like, I can do a lot of construction work. Don't get me near electricity stuff. I will electrocute myself. Well aware of that fact. Um, but you know, some people will just go and try it. But we need. There's a lot of things we need people for um, right. that people don't want to do. But the people we have out there that can do them, we. Uh, Incentivize people to go do that, and because especially as we move more towards solar power and you know clean energy, and as technology just advances, you know everything's going wireless and everything, and that's just something else that's way over my head. Um, you know, I hate IT, and I work in IT all the time, and it drives me crazy. But it's going to take people who have those trade skills um we're going to be more dependent on them in the future than we are now and we're already very dependent on them so you know incentivize the hell out of it
0: (laughs) yeah and you know one of the things that's alongside of that proposal within the reconciliation bill is the idea for for paid leave now yes Do you, are you in the camp where you think that paid, like family, medical leave, things of that nature, do they need to exist? And if so, like, is there, like, what is, what is the limits? Like, like, what should we be realistically thinking about?
1: I, um, I absolutely agree with paid leave. Um, most countries do it, uh, and it, they see amazing results with their staff. Um, they see it with their productivity, their efficiency, um, the overall mental health of their workers. Um, there, it's there's a lot of research and um, uh, science behind it, like organizational science, that proves that it is for the overall well-being of your organization. It it really is effective. Um, I firmly believe that um, companies need to enforce um, paid leave, uh, and I think you know. A lot of them don't even offer maternity leave anymore, uh, which is just crazy to me. Um, but I think you know, paternity leave, that should be absolutely be a thing. Dads, there are new dads out there, along with new moms. Um, yeah. You know, but along with that, miscarriage leave. Miscarriage is a horrible toll on a person. Um, so, in the having to come right back to work after that happens. Does nothing good for anybody. Um, it's it it, it yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Um, I think there needs to be you know so many days at of a year that somebody gets paid for a mental health break. You know um, we all stress is a big thing. Stress will kill you faster than anything. It will mess up your health faster than anything. Everyone should be able to take a mental health break. What do they take? just one day, a quarter, one day, a month, however you want to do it. But absolutely. Um, And then there's also, you know, bereavement leave has always driven me bonkers because, you know, if it's a mother or a father or a sister, you know um, you get like a week, but if it's your grandfather, you get a day or two, but what if that grandfather raised you? Right. What if, you know, and, so it's there's definitely someone can't tell you they look at bereavement objectively and it bereavement should absolutely be subjective um and i that's always really bothered me um so i don't think anybody should be telling me how long i need off for someone who was close to me that passed away um so i think there should be a, a space of time set aside for bereavement um period, bereavement. If it's a family member, this is, you know, um, and uh, so I think that various different things should entitle paid leave, like moving, (laughs) you know, moving is a pain in the butt, and it's stressful, and uh, that will probably never happen, but I'm just using that as an example, because I just moved and, yeah you know, yeah. I had to take a few days off and it was awful. And, you know, it, it's, so, um, I, I absolutely believe in, in paid leave. Um, and I think there should be a lot more paid leave for maternity. You know, here we do, um, most places you'll get like up to 12 weeks. Some yeah. countries give yeah. you a year and then they or they'll do so many months and then they, you get like part-time for a little while. Like they really emphasize the mother. Um, And I I really, like their workers are happier. Uh, So there's something to be said about it. There's a lot of research and science behind it. It's very compelling evidence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think what it really comes down to is that people who are experiencing stress, strain, you know, issues with their mental health. We should be giving people the time to just collect themselves because it just allows for overall just better production in every way, shape and form. You know, I think that we are too used to treating people like robots and, you know, there's just not really common sense at the end of the day to treat people that way. So I appreciate your stance on this. But speaking of things that don't have a whole lot of common sense around them, I wanted to talk to you about things that happened in Georgia earlier this year in regards to, there was a shooting that took place, I think it was back in uh, the middle of March uh, mm-hmm. in Georgia. Now, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that this mass shooting that took place uh, originated in your district. And, yeah. you know, people again are asking all those same questions that we feel like we're always asking around these things happening. One of them being, why don't we have federal background checks? Will you go into Congress and make sure that federal background checks become a reality?
1: Yeah, so that is that is a thing for me. Um, uh, You know, as someone who's worked in mental health for a long time, I firmly believe that, um, you know, federal background checks should be enforced. Um, You know, I support the right to bear arms. If you wanna own a gun, I mean, I don't, but it, it, I'm a knife person, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> you know, I go fishing a lot. And it's always handy just to have a knife, you know, just cut the line and stuff like that. So it's just whatever. Um, I'm not going to shoot the fish, but uh, I have seen people do that, though. Um, it's Georgia, but uh, it's, uh, yeah. So federal background checks, I think, would be a, a necessary first step. Um, but to, to make that a successful first step, you need to have a background check system that's federal, that everyone has access to. That If they sell a gun, they, they can access that system. Um, but that also includes like if there's red flags. So like for mental health, if you've got somebody that maybe has in the past year has been suicidal or homicidal. Um, and has been on, in, at least in Georgia, we call it a 1013. It's an involuntary psychiatric admission for a 72-hour hold. If they've been on that 72-hour admission for psych hold, it, it will show up. Instead of just Georgia seeing it, it should show up in a, na- in a nationwide da- database. Um, instead, it, you've got a state-to-state database. And that's, you know, like the Indiana FedEx shooting, that's what happened. It, it was, it was in a different state and they didn't see it. Um, so, you know, if this is where also, same thing goes for like cooling off periods. If he comes in, if someone comes in, wants to buy a gun and they're red flag and it, the guy's just like, yeah, you know, you try, I come in, want to buy a gun from you. And you're just like, no, you just get this weird feeling. And that's perfectly fine, which should, another thing that should be, uh, you know, okay. You know, if, if you're not safe, you, you know, you're, if you're getting a bad feeling, you should be totally free to deny me a sale. And that's not okay in some states, um, which is, again, beyond me. But um, so, but you should be able to go into a database and say, Heather, try to come in and buy a gun. I had an uneasy feeling, can't explain it, but I put a red flag in. But that should be able to be seen in California if I try to go to California and buy a gun, two days from now. But I'm still in that red flag period, so I can't. But California can see it, you know? So I, I think all the registries, all the databases, they all need to talk to one another. I mean, as many things as we have that are federal, they have a federal prescription system that tells them anytime I try to buy Sudafed, but they can't They can't put a gun system on a federal basis. Like, I, I, I don't understand. Um, so, and they even scan my driver's license when I try to buy the Sudafed. So it, literally that's more in depth than when someone tries to buy a gun. Um, so those, that's a basic first step I think is background checks, it needs to be a federal database, nation, you know, just nationwide. Same with red flags and any kind of um, like psychiatric hold, yeah, anything yeah. like that, that would be a pertinent red flag. It should all be any kind of police records. Anything that would be a flag should be in a nationwide database.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I kind of want to close out this episode by going on to the same place where we started at. So we started with healthcare. And so I kind of, again, want to end with the healthcare related question. You know, as I was saying to the listeners before, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time. This is coming out in November, but we are in the midst of seeing which are being characterized as heartbeat bills being passed around the nation. What, what do you think Congress can and should do uh, in regards to seeing so many of these laws being passed on the state level? Uh, should Congress step in and make a law specifically that would, that would essentially overturn all of these laws at the state level? Do you believe that the federal government should go that far? Uh, what what are your thoughts on these on these bills that we're seeing across the country, especially the one down in Texas?
1: So, I know at least far back as I think 1992, 1993, um, and I forgot which congressman, but he he swore up and down that they were going to bring it before Congress and they were going to codify Roe v. Wade into law, and they have said that I think every single year since. So this is going on what like thirty years yet to happen um, because we've deal with these attacks on Roe v Wade every year but this is the first time because of what happened in Texas and the Supreme Court just basically laying down and letting it happen that we're seeing Roe v Wade fall um, this is the first you know domino to, to uh, taking down Roe v Wade um, there is a bill that Judy Chu has brought um, She's been doing it since like 2010, 2011, um, to again, codify Roe v. Wade. Um, and Nancy Pelosi is gonna bring it to the House floor. Um, I, it's long overdue. I don't know how much power it will have because there are, uh, you'll still have states. Some things, states still have the power over, over federal, even though federal should always trump states. It just depends on which law is stronger. Um, and uh, I we still run in that, into that with mental health care stuff. Um, personally, I think it's gonna end up right back in front of the Supreme Court. It's just a matter of time. Um, what Texas is doing, I think is ultimately gonna fall um, because they're giving the right to uh, basically the right of the government that are putting in the hands of a private entity. Yeah. And then on top of that, which there's already been a Supreme court decision says you can't do that. Um, There's been multiple. Um, And then on top of that, they're gonna, with all this frivolous litigation, they're just gonna fill up their courts. So uh, the court system's already overrun. (laughs) This is just gonna make it worse. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. And then Greg Abbott really stepped in it when he, uh, with AOC, with all of the stuff that he's been saying, you know, um, A, and this, I don't mean this to sound like it's going to sound. um, At six weeks, the fetus is not a fetus. It's an embryo. um, And it does not have a heart. So I don't mean it to sound like that as cruel as that sounds and as awful as that sounds, but it is still an embryo. It is not a fetus at that point, Um, just scientifically speaking um, or biologically speaking. And what people say is the heartbeat is not actually a heartbeat. It is more or less electrical impulses bouncing off one another that the sonogram actually picks up. If you were to hold a microphone to the belly, or even if you were to cut it open and hold a microphone in there, the sound would not be picked up. It is, it is simply the electrical impulses playing off the sonogram sound, a sound, sonogram machine. So it is, there is no heartbeat at six weeks. There's just, there's not, there's not, there's not even a heart. So, <laughs> um, so what, scientifically speaking, biologi- biologically speaking, what he is trying to propose um, doesn't work, but apparently he didn't take anatomy. Um, So I guess he probably should have done that before he uh, tried to sign this bill. And And then technically, I mean, a woman doesn't know, you can't even get an accurate pregnancy test until, you know, they won't even do it. If you're only two weeks past your uh, two weeks late for your period, right? They'll just tell you it's stress or it could be stress or blah, blah, blah. It could be anything right So they usually wait until you're at least four weeks past your period well then by that time you're already going to miss the six week mark yeah so it's it it doesn't work um so and then he said he can just it's fine he'll just prevent he's going to stop rapes from happening so you know if you have the power to stop rapes and incest from happening
0: why aren't you already um, doing it
1: What Exactly. So, you know, I invite any woman in Texas that has been the victim of rape or incest since his term started to go after him. I would sue him because he had the power to stop it and he did not. He just opened himself wide up for that. And, you know, I just, I, I, you can't make this stuff up, but, um, but I think uh, what Texas did is going to be I think it will be struck down, but in the interim, we are going to see a lot of women um, and girls uh, hurt in the process because it won't stop abortions at all. Yeah. It's going to yeah. stop safe abortions. And that's very scary. Um, you know, it's, And it doesn't matter. It, it's not a matter of being pro-abortion. It's being uh, like pro-woman's rights and pro-woman's life, you know. A lot of women it take a botched abortion can kill women um but it it also is taking their life to force them to have a child that they're not prepared for they don't want that they're not financially able to have i mean there's a lot of things
0: absolutely and i thank you for giving that explanation i I also apparently did not take enough of an anatomy class because I did not know that fact about uh, the heartbeat at six weeks. So thank you for taking a moment to explain that. And well, most
1: people wouldn't know that. But if you're going to write the bill and do all that kind of stuff, you should at least know that stuff.
0: That's that's very true. And I, I thank you for coming on and uh, you know, talking to us about your platform and giving us all this information about different issues going on, especially in the state of Georgia. Where can people find you online if they want to get more involved with you and with your campaign?
1: Um, so my website is heatherforgeorgia.com, and it's for like F-O-R, because I keep getting asked that, um, and Georgia is spelled out. Um, so heatherforgeorgia.com, and then if you want to find me on, I'm on pretty much all the social medias now, um, and my main one is Twitter, it's at heatherk and that applies to Instagram as well. And then Facebook is at Heather KGA, no underscore.
0: Perfect. And for anyone who's interested, just go ahead and go into the episode description. Those links will be in the episode description right now. So go ahead and check those out. And Heather, I guess, lastly, before we let you go, when is the primary election and are there other people in the primary with you?
1: Um, Yes. So the primary is going to be in June of next year. Uh, We do not have a date yet um, because it's, they keep moving things and you know, here in Georgia, they keep messing with all the voting laws. So who knows what they're gonna do. Um, And um, we're still waiting on redistricting to finalize. So who knows what's gonna happen with that. Um, I do have one primary opponent. Um, The second one has already dropped out. So uh, that's is what it is. Uh, He has joined the other guys campaign, but um, I am the only woman running as a Democrat.
0: Okay. Well, everyone, you know, please go ahead and check out her website. And, you know, if you are interested, please, you know, donate. Please check out her Twitter, Instagram. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I really do appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you for having me and um, love to come back anytime.
0: All right. Well, thank you again. And for everyone else, we're going to take one final break. And when we come back, you'll have my final thoughts of the day. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. I want to first and foremost thank my guest, Heather Kilpatrick, for coming on to the podcast. She is, again, running for the 11th district in Georgia. That is our fifth candidate episode this season. I hope that you have been enjoying them. Please send me a message and let me know what you've been thinking of our candidates so far. Heather is most accessible through Twitter. So if you are looking at a way to interact with her or check up with her campaign, I would suggest finding her on Twitter. That link is in the episode description. So with that being said, let's talk about what is coming up with the podcast moving forward. Once again, that was our fifth candidate episode. So we have one more, which will be coming out next month. We're doing these one a month. Uh, Claudia Zapata will be our candidate for the month of December. So be on the lookout for that as that comes here in a few weeks. Again, I don't normally, um, put episodes out in the middle of the week like this, but we're trying to play a little bit of a catch-up game, as I mentioned in my last episode. So you'll be getting quite a few episodes over the next few days as we try to like get back on track after getting a little off track during this month. So be on the lookout for some extra episodes. There'll be some YouTube videos coming in the not too distant future. So if you are not already, please go subscribe on my YouTube channel. That link is also in the episode description. So go check out the YouTube channel, people. Why haven't you already? What's going on? So last but not least, I want to mention that there are some new things coming on to Instagram in the not too distant future. For all my Instagram followers, which again is the best place to keep up with the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Independent Thought. Uh, Make sure that you are checking out my stories every day for updates on the podcast uh, and on the YouTube channel. I just post all kinds of updates on Instagram. So make sure that you are following me on there to keep up with everything new as far as Independent Thought is concerned. So, with that being said, I'm going to say thank you again to my candidate for this month, uh, Heather Kilpatrick, to all of you, the listeners for listening to this episode and be on the lookout for another new episode coming from independent thought here in a few days. Stay tuned.